quite all right. And all God's people say it. I am so proud to see y'all. I'm telling you, there was so much negativity. Oh, it's raining. Oh, it's cold. Ain't nobody going to be here. And you proved all the critics wrong. Say amen. amen. Very good to see everybody tonight. I hope you had a, a great everything. Holidays, Christmas, New Year's, blah, 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 the whole deal. Amen. Now we can get back to the grind and get back to the routine and, and, and just have a brand new year. I told the staff this morning, uh, I read the verse in, in Revelation 21 uh, where it says God's going to make all things new. All things new. And I'm so glad to know that. We're going to have a new home, a new body, a new future. Say amen. amen. He's going to make all things new. And this year represents that. I'm glad we have a clean slate with things we messed up, things we didn't do well, things we didn't do good in this past year. Uh, we can change that and with God's help make a better day. Amen. amen. Well, we're in Revelation. Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Uh, we don't really have a starting off text. Uh, we, we'll, we'll, maybe do, we'll just read the first, uh, first verse of chapter number 2 and I'll let you sit down. Uh, but we're going to go through all of them from chapters 2 to chapter 3. And I don't have time to read all of chapters 2 and chapters 3. We've been going over it for the last seven lessons. So, so you're familiar with that. But I want to take the last part of what we started with. We said that there was a a uh, uh, three different things that you see in the in the seven churches, the seven letters to the seven churches. There's a primary association. In other words, in other words, there was a specific issue in those specific churches at that specific time that God was dealing with, and He was sending those letters from John to them. If that makes sense, say Amen. amen. But then there is a personal application. In other words, the problems they had then. We can have now. Uh, they had an issue with, with their love growing cold. You know, they left their first love. How many of y'all know sometimes it's easy to kind of slack up on the Lord? We, we can let our love grow cold. And, 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 and there's times, and, and as we go through those seven letters, there's so many things that we can apply to ourselves. We can be careful of uh, dealing with sin and so forth. But tonight, I, I told you we'd wait till the end of those seven letters. And tonight, we're going to talk about the prophetic anticipation. Uh, how God laid out the history of the New Testament church from Ephesus all the way to Laodicea, from the apostolic age all the way to the Laodicean age before the Lord comes back. And, uh, and, and, and it's a staggering. It is staggering how accurate. It shouldn't be staggering because God wrote it, amen. But the point is you can take secular history books and put it right beside these two, these two chapters in Revelation, the seven letters, and compare them side by side, and it's perfect. Say amen. He, get, he gives us a, a panoramic view of the church from the beginning to the end, and so that's what we're going to cover tonight. Are y'all glad to be here? Say amen. All right. Well, let's, let's, read, let's just read that first verse, and I'll let you sit down, because we're going to cover a lot of stuff tonight. Uh, Revelation 2, 1. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. See, here's a phrase that's in every single letter. I know thy I know thy works. I'm glad God knows us. Amen? Well, let's pray, and we'll get started. Lord, thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you for this good crowd. Lord, I, sometimes, sometimes it's easy to, 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 to kick back and stay home. And, but Lord, they came to hear and they came to learn and they came to grow. And I pray that they will not leave disappointed. 
I pray that your perfect will be done tonight. You know how much I need you. And Lord, how desperately I beg for the Holy Spirit to take every word out of my mouth. And Lord, use it as a a, a tool of edification to your saints. I pray, Lord, that every word I say will be anointed. I pray everything I say will be according to your will. Don't let me say anything I shouldn't. And don't let me forget anything I should. I pray that your perfect will be done. Help us tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As I said a while ago, there are, are, are some, a couple of these points I, I had to uh, get extra information about that I didn't have space to type or we'd have had tons and tons of pages to give you and I didn't want to do that. Uh, so I, I printed them off for me and I'm going to read them and, and at th- those times you can just listen and glean and, and, and uh, take it for what it's worth there. But we see the, the prophetic anticipation, what God, he wants you to see his church He wants you to see what is going to happen in the beginning, what's going to happen in the end, and and he gives you a view of the church as a whole. Uh, (coughs) Excuse me, R.H. Clayton wrote this. It can be no mere coincidence that these epistles do, do set out the salient characteristics of the church through the centuries, and no one can deny that they are presented in historic sequence. In other words, they go in in complete sequence. Now, the first church we're going to look at is the very first letter that's sent out, the letter of Ephesus, the church of Ephesus. Ephesus represents the apostolic church. Say that with me. It represents the... Now, these dates are approximate. So so don't nail it down. Okay, this is the exact date. This is approximate, okay, Uh, uh, for the time of this particular period. The apostolic church period was, obviously, it was the period of the apostles. When the apostles was here upon this earth, God's chosen, uh, the ones he directed and guided, the ones that he, he discipled, and the ones that he commissioned and called and sent out. And, and this was a special time. This was a time of unprecedented growth in the church. It was a time of unprecedented miracles that God allowed them to perform. And so I want you to, I want you to write these things down and then we'll, then we'll talk about it, all right? First, we find uh, the infant church is established. Write that down. <clears throat> the infant church is established during this period of time. Uh, from Pentecost to approximately 160 A.D., the infant church is established. The scriptures are completed. With the writing of Revelation, the scriptures are completed. Peter and Paul are the primary characters. Peter and Paul are the primary characters in this age. Then we see the the historical book to follow is the Acts of the Apostles, obviously. The Acts of the Apostles, the book of Acts in your Bible. If you go through the book of Acts, you'll find find the beginning. You'll find Pentecost. uh, You'll find extraordinary miracles. You'll find... Peter, in the very beginning, as the main character, going transitioning to Paul, uh, the ministry from the Jewish people to the Gentile people. Paul is called to the Gentiles. And uh, it, we start in Jerusalem, and, and we end up in, in, in uh, really Antioch, and then we end up in Rome. And we find out, you know, if you skip the book of Acts, if you just go from John to, to Romans, you're going to wonder, how in the world did they get to Rome? Well, Acts helps us with that. Acts teaches us what happens in the apostolic church age and apostolic period be careful be careful to 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 create doctrine out of a historical book we create our doctrine for the church out of the epistles say amen not the historical book it's a transition period it's a transitional time 
Uh, it's a transitional time in the way God deals with people. Things are different from the beginning to the end. Uh, we see the, the, the gospel comes to the Jews in Acts chapter number 2. Uh, it comes to the, the Samaritans, which were half Jew and half Gentile, in Acts chapter 8. And in Acts chapter 10, we see the Gentiles come in. And it's no longer it's no longer Jew or Gentile. It's one, the one body, the church. There's no separation. There's no division. God has called us all into one body, the church, the body of Christ. He's no longer dealing with nations. He's dealing with people. He's dealing with the church, the body of Christ. If you're with me, say amen. amen. Great time. Great time in the church. Uh, we see people getting saved. We see people uh, 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 committing themselves to the Lord. We see incredible faithfulness, incredible commitment, uh, willing to, to sell their possessions and sell lands and bring and put at the apostles' feet and to meet the needs of the people. This was a committed church. This was a faithful church. This was a church that didn't put up with sin. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Didn't put up with sin. Uh, we see the characteristics there in that first letter. And, and man, this was a great time in the church. But, but, there was an issue. There was an issue. He says, I have somewhat against thee. After listing all the great characteristics, he says, I have somewhat against thee because you have, come on, it ain't but seven lessons ago, y'all. You have left. Don't ever make the mistake and say lost. You left it. You left it. You walked away from it. You didn't lose it. Listen, if you lose it, you don't know where it's at. But if you left it, you can go back. That's why he said, remember from whence thou art fallen and repent and do thy first works. In other words, go back, go back, go back. But we see some seeds developing. There was a, there was a lot of hard work, a lot of toll, a lot of labor but then their, their apathy began to set in a little bit. They begin to do things out of obligation and not adoration. How many of y'all know that Jesus cares about why you do what you do and not just what you do? Because if why you do it is not right, you're not going to do it for very long. Amen? And then we move into the persecuted church. The second letter. <clears throat> the second letter we find the persecuted church period. Smyrna. Smyrna, this is uh, in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. Look at, as we read, let's read that verse, Second chapter 2, verse 10. He says, fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried, and ye shall have, ye shall have tribulation. tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. This is the, this is the persecuted church. This is the time of Roman persecution. The Roman, uh, uh, pagan Rome, his heel was put upon the neck of the church. This stage of church history endured the iron heel of pagan Rome. The persecution had begun in John's day and extended to about 312 A.D. Some believe that the ten days mentioned represent the ten separate attempts to wipe out Christianity prompted by the edicts of the ten different Roman rulers or that we've listed, I give you a list there. Or it is possible to have represented the 10th persecution under Diocletian, which lasted exactly 10 years. Uh, the total number of Christians who lost their lives because of these persecutions is unknown. Although early church historian Eusebius, uh, whose work are the only source for many of these events, speak of great multitudes having perished. I read, <clears throat> I was reading, uh, uh, many of the accounts of the people who were martyred. 
the Roman people, the Roman government would actually put Christians on poles and, and, and cover them with tar and light them and create human torches to light the roadways. They would take them and put them and to get them to deny their faith, to deny their belief in Christ, and, and put them in arenas with wild animals would take them and wrap them in animal skins and throw them to starving dogs and leopards and lions, also wild boar. I read, I read a diary, I read a diary of, of two, martyred, two martyred young women. One was 22 years old and, and, and had a, a nursing son. And they took them and put them in a net and put them in an arena and put that net in such a way that a, 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 a crazed heifer would, would gore them and stomp them to the point of death. I'm talking about just, just stuff that would curl your hair simply because they would not deny Christ. All they had to do was say, I'm not a Christian. All they would have to do is deny the Lord Jesus Christ and they could live. But yet they, they, they were willing to give their life for the name of Christ. And there are some today that's sitting at home because it's raining. We're in a different day, a different time. I was reading, literally, I'm telling you, I was reading this diary. This, this young lady, 22 years old, her father was begging her, begging her to recant. And, and she says, I can't do that. I can't do that. Christ, Christ is my Lord. I am a Christian. And boy, as you see, and I would encourage you to go and research it and study, the, study what they, they went through and what they experienced and how the devil tried to stomp out the early church. But how many of y'all know that, that the more God's people are persecuted, the more they grow? Some said blood is the, is the fertilizer that's, that, 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 that spreads the seed of the gospel. Listen, they were a persecuted people. They went through intense persecution. <clears throat> but then we find in the third letter, the third letter, things in man's eyes seem to be better. But in God's eyes, it gets much, much worse. At the end of, at the end of Diocletian's uh, uh, reign as, as a, a Roman Caesar, he dies off and there are people coming to take his place. Now here's where I need you to just listen for just a little bit, okay? After... After the death of Diocletian, the monarch of the Roman Empire, two men contended for the throne. Constantine in the west and Maxentius in the east were both determined to succeed Diocletian. Old tradition has it that the night before the battle of Milvian Bridge, Constantine saw a vision in the sky in the shape of a cross bearing the inscription in Latin that by this sign conquered. That night he bargained and said if, if, he, would, if he would win, if he would win the battle, he would join the church and declare himself a Christian if he won the battle. We know from history that Constantine won the battle, declared himself a Christian, and Christianity be, became the religion of the state. Christian leaders were invited to witness the wholesale baptism of whole regiments of soldiers in Constantine's army. When later almost 400 bishops met, Constantine was carried on a golden throne and he presided over the council of the as the recognized head of the church. But with all the profession and pomp, there's no evidence that he was born again. After Constantine's declaration, it was popular to be a Christian. True believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who were being persecuted 
found themselves being lauded by political and civil authorities. Their rags of persecution and their hideouts in the catacombs gave way to softer garments and more comfortable dwellings. Thus the Pergamos stage of history came into being. The church was married to the world. Now I want to go back, I want to go back and read, if you will look on, 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 on uh, point number three, Donald Gray Barnhouse, this is what he writes. He says, the very word Pergamos has in it, same, in, in it the same root from which we get our English words for bigamy and polygamy. It is the word for marriage. The particle which forms the first syllable frequently calls attention to something that is objectionable. Pergamos signifies a mixed marriage in the most objectionable sense of the word. For it is the marriage of the organization of the church of Jesus Christ with the... So three things we see. First, we have Constantine's alleged conversion. And I say alleged. Constantine's alleged conversion. Christianity declared to be the religion of the state. And the worst part of it all, the church and the world mixed. The church and the world mixed. <clears throat> which was never to happen. There was a mixed marriage. The messages in the seven letters supplement supplement and endorse our Lord's parables in Matthew 13. Pergamos represents the church of the mustard seed in Matthew 13, 31. Christ speaks of its greatness and the fact that the birds lodged in its branches. We learn from the first parable that the fowls which devoured up the seed represent Satan. So here we have the monstrosity of the tree which ought never to have become a tree. Now, here's, here's the point. Uh, in, during the persecuted church age, during the persecuted church age, you find Christians hiding, Christians in catacombs, Christians uh, being persecuted for their faith, Christians being murdered, Christians being killed, and, and, and they are in small sects and small groups in different various places. In other words, in other words, they were few and far. They were everywhere, but they were small. They had no political power, they had no political ability. Uh, they were meeting by the riverbanks. They were r r meeting in hiding, meeting in homes. But now, all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, it's cool to be a Christian. It, it's a political thing to be a Christian. Now, now uh, it is hip. It is an in thing. You, you, you ain't a nobody unless you're a Christian. Now, keep in mind this. Keep in mind this. That when we think the word Christian and what worldly people think the word Christian is two different things. It's two different things. We, when we think the word Christian, we think someone who has come to Christ in, 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 in sorrow of their sin, repenting of their sin, they see themselves as a sinner before a holy God and they see Christ as the only way of salvation and the only way that our sins can be forgiven and the only way that our guilt and condemnation can be taken away is that the blood of Christ washes away our sin and we come to him in repentance and we are granted forgiveness. Amen. And now he is our Lord. Now he is the boss. Now we follow him and we learn of him. That's, that's what we think. But when the world thinks Christian, it means, it means that you have a name. It's usually in title only. It means it's what you call yourself. If you don't believe me, ask anybody in the South, are you a Christian? They ain't been to church in years, maybe never. They, 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 they listen, drunk all the time, everything else. But you ask them if they're a Christian, why sure? 
Why? Because I'm from Alabama. Are y'all with me? All right. You, you, you get in the picture? He baptizes his whole regiments of soldiers. Now you're a Christian. <clears throat> you're a Christian because you say you are. You see, we went from hiding in the caves to now this monstrosity. This mustard seed became a tree. And it was never to be. It was a freak of abnormal growth. Thus we see Christendom taken over by the Satan's emissaries, even as Paul warned in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. James Knox, he writes about this same letter. This is how he, this is how he describes it. <clears throat> Constantine repealed the persecution edicts of the former emperors and placed Christians in high positions. That's the edict of Milan, by the way. And placed Christians in high positions in the empire. He generally corrupted Christianity with his patronage and began that unholy marriage between church and state, which effectively destroyed the church's proper character and wrecked its testimony. The church at Pergamos also had in its midst those that held the doctrine of Nicolaitans. Also, we have seen this doctrine was hated by the apostolic church. But by the time of the Pergamos church, the exaltation of clergy over laity had taken hold. What does that mean? That there are two levels of people in the church. There's the clergy and the laity. In other words, the clergy are important and the laity is the peons. That's the basic thinking. That's the basic thinking. You have, you have a level. In other words, in, other words, in like an army, you have, you, have, you have privates and you have lieutenants and captains and, and, and all, all these that you find here. There are levels of authority there. They tried to place that in the church. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. I'm your pastor, and I believe in, 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 in the pastoral position and respect as the pastor, but I'm human just like you. And you can go to God just like me. You can hear from God just like me. Are you with me? That's called the priesthood of the believer. Are y'all with me? Well, anyway, anyway, I'm not going to have time to go on that, but we, 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 as, as the time goes on, we will. Now, at this stage of the church's history, men were tolerated who taught that it would be to the advantage of the church and the world if Christians mingled with the men of the world. Individuals might protest, but the mass no longer resisted these false teachers. In Ephesus, they were tried and hated. In Pergamos, they were held. Evil teachers were tolerated, and evil practices followed. Keep this in mind. Say this with me. Bad doctrine, bad doctrine. Always, always leads to bad practice. Bad, practice. bad doctrine, bad doctrine. Always, always leads to bad practice. Be careful who you mix with. Be careful who you hang with. I, I, I want to say this. Just this. There was a prominent, there was a prominent uh, Christian singer, <clears throat> Christian singer who I personally loved. I, I, I mean, I, I loved several of this person's songs, and and uh, uh, she was featured on a, a an openly homosexual uh, host of a of a TV show, and there was a lot of arguments back and forth. You know, you know, it's okay to do this, it's not okay to do this, uh, blah blah blah, and, and 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 so so you have. Some Christians saying she should have. Some Christians saying she shouldn't have. And, and, and then, you know, you, you say, okay, what, what's the answer? Well, later on, you come out and she's, she's point blank asked. 
Is homosexuality, homosexuality wrong? And she says, well, I don't know. I'm not a judge. You read the Bible and you tell me. Now, here's the problem with that. Number one, either you haven't read your Bible, and that's, that's, that means you're ignorant and you need to get to studying, or number two, you know it and you're not willing to take a stand. One or the other. One or the other. Neither is good. Here's what we need to understand. You say, well, oh, oh she, could, she could be a testimony. She, here's what you do. You're teaming up God with the world it, to try to accomplish a good thing. It does not work. The church is never to team up with the world. It's never to mix with the world. You cannot expect a, 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 an unconverted person to contribute and help you do a spiritual thing with someone who is not spiritual. And that's exactly what took place with Constantine. This was a political move. This was not a spiritual move. God did not move in this thing because God doesn't do it that way. God doesn't doesn't give you what you ask for so you will get saved. If I win this battle, then I'll convert. God don't work that way. Quit, quit trying to deal with God and make, make, anyway, anyway, I got, I got to hurry. I got to hurry. We got so much stuff here. I'm trying. <clears throat> here we go. Here we go. Bad doctrine, bad teaching. It always leads to bad practice. Pergamos was said to hold Satan's seat. That's in chapters two, verse 13. It was said to hold Satan's seat. Now, remember, we're talking about this particular age in the church history. All right, this indicates the God of this world dwelt there. We are thus given to understand that the church had given up her pilgrim character and the place of her dwelling had become the world. Having settled in the world, the church ceases to be a witness for Christ. Now, now what, is our, what is our songs that we sing? This world is not my, I'm just a passing through. We are pilgrims. We're not supposed to be comfortable in this world, in this world's behavior, in this world's culture. If you can go out and live in the world and be in the world and feel comfortable and feel at home, something is wrong. If you are walking with Christ, if you are following Christ and living by the word, when you go out into the world, you're going to feel like a fish out of water. You're going to feel like you don't belong. Are y'all with me? Man, I, 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 I gave this illustration a long time ago, but I, I can't help but give this now. When I, when I graduated, 18 years old, or I gra- well, actually I was 17, I hadn't turned 18 yet. But anyway, I, I, I graduated. Here I am. And, and, and y'all know, y'all know my father, y'all know my father, pastor, real strict, grew up real strict, you know, didn't, didn't do the partying thing, the partying scene, all that, none of that stuff, we didn't do all that. Well, here I am now, I'm, 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 I'm 17, turning 18, and, and I'm going to do my own thing, because <clears throat> I'm 18. So I go, I go to a party, never been to one of them, but I go. Now, now keep in mind, I surrendered to the preacher when I was 17, and, and I just wanted to go. So we're going, and I'm with this, and I know, I, I know where I'm going, and I know who I'm going with. And I'm, I'm telling you, I, my stomach feels like jello. 
and I'm going down this, we turn on the road where the party is, and, and we're, we're seven houses down, and you can hear them thumping. I mean, they're getting with it. And, I'm, and the more I'm closer I'm getting, the more nervous I'm getting. We pull in the yard, and I'm walking with these fellas, and they, 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 fellas, they just think it's And I, I'm, down, I'm about to sweat bullets. We walk in this house, and, and man, it's just a party. I mean, it's a normal thing to everybody. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I felt like an alien. I felt like I didn't understand the language they were speaking. I felt like I was going to die any moment if I didn't hurry up and get out of that place. I was in there about seven and a half minutes. I said, boys, I got to go. I, he said, where are you going? I said, somewhere but here. <laughs> I'm telling you, I felt so uncomfortable. I felt so out of place. That was not where a child of God should have been. And if you can go where the world's crowd hangs out and does what the world's crowd does and feel comfortable and feel at ease, something's wrong. But that's what happened. Hey, we're cool now. Everybody's good. We don't have to hang out in the caves and just popular be a Christian. The world and the church cannot mix. It cannot mix. And all God's people said, having settled in the world, the church ceases to be a witness for Christ. And the world ceases. Now watch this. And the world ceases to persecute the church. They're buddies now. When the world and the church associate together, there's nothing left to persecute. From this period, the church as a whole lost its heavenly character. And worse, for Christianity has become amongst men a simply a means for the betterment of the masses and the advancement of temporal interest. The church and the world mixed. Now, where do, we, where do we find that in this letter? Where do we find that in this letter? It says you have those that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Now, if we go back and do a little review, if you'll remember that Balaam was a prophet who was hired by a wicked king to curse God's people. How I many of y'all remember when we studied that? He was, he was hired to curse God's people. He tried it several times. It did not work because God wouldn't let him curse him. And so he, does, he come up with an ingenious plan. It's a plan that the devil has used over and over and over and over and over. If we can't curse them, let's corrupt them. And he convinced, he convinced heathen women to mix with the men of the nation of Israel, corrupt them, seduce them, and they begin to commit fornication. They begin to intermarry. And because of that, it brought sin into the camp. And what they could not do by cursing them, they accomplished by corrupting them. There was a, what are we talking about? A mixed marriage. The world and the church cannot mix. Love not the things in the world. If you are a friend of the world, you're an enemy to God. Now, understand when we're talking about, that doesn't mean that the people in the world, you're not supposed to love them. We're supposed to love them. Jesus loved them. He died for them. Amen? It means don't love the culture. Don't love the behavior. Don't love everything that the world represents. If that makes sense, say amen. The church has to be holy. The church has to be righteous. The church has to be separated. Are y'all with me? We'll lose everything that we are. We'll lose who we are. 
You say, oh, but we need to bring in elements of the world to reach the world. No, you don't. You don't have to do that. All you need is power. All you need is the scriptures. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. He didn't say methods. He didn't say plans. He he didn't say organization. He said the gospel. And if you got to use anything but the gospel, it won't work. Amen. Help me, Travis. Help me, Travis. Amen. Listen. Listen. The church and the world can't mix. It has to be separated, but it didn't. You know, in some ways, in some ways, I guess in my human weaknesses, I, I, I understand. I'd be tired of running too. I'd be tired of hiding too. I'd be, I'd be tired of fearing for my life. And then somebody offers me safety. Somebody offers me, hey, you, you, you don't have to run anymore. You don't have to hide anymore. I understand that. And the reason I'm saying that is we've got to be careful. Because what may seem to be a good thing may be a devil in disguise. Amen? He's an angel of light. Then we, we see in, in, in this particular church age, it plants the seeds of Roman Catholicism, the state church. Then we find number four, number four, the church of Thyatira, the church of Thyatira. The name Thyatira, which we see from about 600 AD to 1516. Now, if you'll notice, if you'll notice, this is the longest specific church period. And there's a reason for that. In this particular letter, God says, I gave her space to repent. In other words, God gave an extended period of time for these people to get right, for these people to repent, but they never did. Now, let's go back. The name Thyatira comes from a combination of two words. One meaning, come on everybody, you got to talk loud, it's raining. Sacrifice, and the other meaning, continual. Thus we have continual sacrifice. Now you say, what does that got to do with Catholicism? You'll see. The Lord Jesus offered one sacrifice for sins forever, then sat down. How many sacrifices? One. One. When he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. No more death. No more sacrifice. No more suffering. One sacrifice for sins then sat down at the right hand of the Father. Yet the papacy, Catholicism, with its holy sacrifice of the Mass, invented the doctrine of continual sacrifice of Jesus Christ in the host. In other words, they claim and they teach you that when you take the wafer and you take the the wine, it turns into, it is actually the actual blood and the actual body of Christ, which is heresy. It's false. That is not true. In other words, they are saying that Jesus is dying over and over and over and over. There's always a continual sacrifice. It's wrong. They would thus afflict the Son of God again and again amidst the incense of Roman altars. 
The letter to Thyatira corresponds to the height of Roman Catholicism, also known as the Dark Ages by secular historians. Not long after Constantine, Rome became the effective center of church affairs and the Dark Ages began. Now let me read. Just sit back and listen just a moment. James Knox on, on his book, The Revelation. During the Dark Ages... Corruption and wickedness in the professing church rose to such a height that the infidel historian Gibbon could write. This is what he said about the church during the Dark Ages. The history of the church is the annals of hell. Think about that a minute. That's how corrupt, that's how wicked the church became. The church became the home of heathendom. Pagan feasts became Christian festivals. Pagan gods became Christian saints. Pagan rituals received new life as Christian rites. And pagan priests and nuns became the ordained servants of the church. During this period of church history, the emphasis shifted from being a child of God to a faithful son or daughter of the faith or of the church. The faith became the dogmas and decrees of the Holy Mother Church. During this time was the introduction of numerous heathen superstitions as part of the dogma or the teaching of this particular Catholic uh, uh, church, the, 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 the one world church, not the one world church, but the one church under Catholicism. Heathen practices or, or superstitions such as the title of the first pope given to the bishop of Rome, kissing the pope's feet, temporal power of the pope's begun. Worship of images and relics authorized. God said never, never worship an image. Never. Are y'all with me? Never a likeness, never an image. Holy water was authorized. The veneration of St. Joseph begun. Canonization of dead saints begun. What does that mean? Canonization means they were declared saints. Well, according to my Bible, the New Testament declares every one child born again are saints. Are y'all with me? Then the rosary is introduced. Inquisition of heretics. What is inquisition of heretics? Basically, the torture and murder of non-Catholics. Sale of indulgences begun. What is that? Indulgences was, in other words, you could buy your forgiveness. That's what prompted Martin Luther to nail the 95 Thesis on the wall or on the door of the church in Wittenberg. He, 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 he said, listen, this is not so. This cannot be. In other words, they were teaching that you could have relatives in purgatory. And by the way, there's no such place as purgatory. No such place as purgatory. There's heaven and hell. <clears throat> there's heaven and hell. Hell is a temporary holding place for the, before the lake of fire, and that's after the great white throne judgment. But if you go to hell, you ain't getting out. And they were selling these opportunities to have your loved ones have a shorter time of punishment. In other words, you could basically this, wrap it up. It was the the ability to buy forgiveness of sins, which is heresy. It's not in the Bible. It's false teaching and superstition. The sale of indulgences. The doctrine of transubstantiation, that's what I just explained a while ago, where they say the, the, the bread and the wine actually become the actual body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. Confessing of sins to a priest, <clears throat> declared by the same pope. Adoration of the host decree, 
In order to protect the church from exposure, the Council of Valencia placed the Bible on the list of forbidden books. Do you realize that in the dark ages, the church, the Catholic church, actually wanted to keep the Bible out of the hands of lay people? And the reason being, if you studied your Bible, you would understand how false all that was. And we find this church age, extended period of time, the longest period of time out of all the church ages. Why? God gave her space to repent, and she would not. The root blasphemy, the root blasphemy upon which this entire system is built is the continual sacrifice of the mass, which denies the finished work of Christ. That's the key. It denies the finished work of Christ. Mandatory attendance at the Mass was instituted in the 11th century. This was the time of the Crusades during which the Roman Catholic Church tried by sword and bloodshed to conquer the Holy Land. The Inquisitions during which the Popes had countless thousands of persons tortured and murdered in the name of God also occurred at this time. The message to this church says that God gave her space to repent and this proved to be the longest of any of the seven periods of church history. The message also reveals that she would not repent. Even secular historians have labeled this period as the dark ages. God called this dreadful time. Listen to what God called it. Verse 24. He calls it the depths of Satan. There were some true Christians during this time. Conditions certainly made it, any information about them hard to come by. Most were murdered and their writings burned. Every Christian, and then you were to write this down, write this down. Every Christian should read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Every Christian should. And also Miller's Church History for a detailed study of those who stood for God in the darkest days of human history. They would baptize babies. And true, true believers would know that that meant nothing. It wasn't even biblical. And they would, they would convince people that you had to repent of your sins and you had to be saved and receive Christ and be baptized. And it came after salvation. Are y'all with me? And they hated that. And they killed the people teaching true Bible doctrine. Well, it came to a head, which brings us to the Reformed Church period. Number five, the church of Sardis. <clears throat> the church of Sardis. The nailing, the nailing of Martin Luther's 95 thesis to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany took place on October the 31st, 1517 and clearly marked a turning of the page in the annals of church history. Let's read our notes here in number five. The word Sardis means escaping ones or those who came out they came out the period of church history here represents the reformation period in the midst of the spiritual darkness these were those who there were those who escaped or came out among those were martin luther john knox wycliffe zwingli and others these were the great reformers who broke from rome the intolerable condition under papal rule reached its climax on October 13th, or excuse me, 31st, 1517, as I just read, when Martin Luther nailed the thesis on the door. So write these things down and we'll come back to it. First, we see 
What do we find in this letter? There's a coming out. There's a coming out. They're saying this ain't right. This is not right. This is not biblical. There's a coming out. But here's what we got to understand. B, there's a failure to go far enough. There's a failure to go far enough. And I say, where do you take that from? He said, you have a name that you live, but you are dead. You are dead. Now, I'm going to explain in, in detail what that means, that where they did not come out far enough. Yes, yes, they stood up to Rome. They, they said, this is not right. This is not biblical. This is not what God says. But they didn't go far enough. <clears throat> but then we see, see, there's a dead condition. There's a dead condition. The Reformation... The Reformation raised up a group of men who came out from Romanism and who rescued much from the mortuary of Rome. But they did not go far enough. State churches were organized with many still in operation today. Denominationalism with its cold, lifeless formalism. Ministers became ministers of the church and not ministers of Christ. Go through much of Christendom and you will find the gospel in a coffin. There are indeed believers, but dead, formal, orthodoxy too frequently characterizes the scene. Now let me read. It must never be forgotten. This is what we got to understand about the Reformed group and Reformation. It must never be forgotten that the Reformation was not a break with Roman Catholicism as much as it was a break with Rome. Though the primacy of the Pope came under assault, many of the false doctrines of Rome were allowed to stand. God said he had not found the works of this church to be perfect. Nearly all of the reformers held to the Roman Catholic heresy of infant baptism. Most of them held to the false notion that partaking of the communion made a person part of the church. Nearly all of the reformers supported and sought to further implement the monstrous idea of a state church. They had broken with Rome and claimed the name of Christian, but few were genuinely saved. They had a name that they lived, but were dead. Here's what you got to understand. Salvation is not found in Roman Catholicism, nor is it found in Protestantism, but only in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen. As soon as the Reformation, keep, keep in mind this. So how do you know they didn't go far enough? Here's the thing. As soon as the Reformation in Germany leaned on the arm of princes, in other words, they were dependent on the government to keep them safe from the Catholics, it ceased to spread vigorously. And much of Germany is still mainly Roman Catholic to this day. Whole countries such as Austria, Italy, Spain, and Portugal were left untouched. Where is Wycliffe's England, Knox's Scotland, or Luther's Rhineland? Alas, dead Protestantism clings to the names of its fathers, but knows not their God. In other words, in all of these places, there's still churches. There's still buildings. There's still people coming. But if you go sitting in a service, it's cold. It's lifeless. There's no spirit there. There is formalism. They know the form. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. They have the rituals. They have all of the formalism. But there's no life. Because there's no life, there's no joy. 
Are y'all with me? Dead. They didn't go far enough. They have a name that thou livest, but you are dead. At the commencement of the Reformation, there was a mighty work of the Spirit of God, whereby the Scriptures were recovered for all, and justification by faith was preached, which is a great thing. Say amen. A great thing. Justification by faith alone. It was the powerful assertion of positive truth. But sadly, a vast number groaning under the tyranny of Rome threw in their lot with this movement for political motives apart from any work of the Spirit in their souls. Great masses of people identified themselves with the Reformation movement, not because they loved the truth, but because they hated Rome. A condition arose that was characterized by the reputation for orthodoxy before men, but without life before God. They had the rituals, they had the formalism, they looked good, to man, but they were dead to God. Thus a movement which at its commencement had been under the guidance of the Spirit, a powerful witness to the truth ended in becoming under the guidance of men, little more than a protest against the tyranny and admonitions of Rome. This protest aroused the hostility of Rome. In turn, now this, watch what happens. Rome turned against the Protestants and tried to kill them, stop them, stop the, in their minds the heresy. In turn, the opposition of Rome led the Protestants to place themselves under the protection of the world in order to defend themselves in the conflict with Rome. Thus, in contrast to the Romanist system that sought to rule the world, there arose in Protestantism a system that sought the protection of the world and has thereby become dominated by the world and the resulting condition is set forth in Sardis. You have a name. You have a name that thou livest, but are dead. During this time, the few who stayed the course and walked before the Lord without being defiled by the world began their work of translating the Bible into the common language of the people and freeing the scriptures from their captivity at the hands of the Roman priesthood. The Sardis church period ran from about 1520, like I said, like I said, till about 1750. The end date here is impossible to accurately determine. Throughout the first half of the 18th century, God began to call men out of the Protestant denominational structures and use them to initiate the great Philadelphia revival. This is the best. This is the best. Matter of fact, let's go to chapter 3. <clears throat> Let's go to chapter 3, and I want you to look and see. Go to verse 7, chapter 3 and verse 7. When you get there, say amen. amen. And to the angel, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these things saith he that is, he that is, he that is holy, and he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that, and no man, and, and no man. Now watch this. Now watch this. Skip on down. Skip on down to, uh, 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 let's see, let's see, let's see. Let me just keep reading. I know thy works, 
Behold, I have set before thee an, an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Now here's, here's something you've got to understand. From the very beginning of the church age to the very end of the church age, God is always going to have a remnant. Always. There's always going to be that crowd that sticks with the stuff. There's always going to be a group of people. There's always going to be a remnant that is not part of Catholicism, that's not part of the dead Protestantism, that's not part of the, the things that went awry and things that went away from the truth that God, he keeps throughout this period of time that's doing right, living right, professing the true faith and promoting the true gospel. And, and through this, even though they're small, he said, you have little strength. You have little strength. You are little in numbers, but God is fixing to do great things. Are y'all with me? Little as much when God is in it. And he says, he says, I put before you an open, an open door. Now, let me, let me give you these things real fast. There is no way that clock is right. There is no way an hour is going by that fast. All right. Right, you got to write faster. You're not writing fast enough. Hey, there's an open door. <clears throat> there's an open door of opportunity. There's an open door. B, there's revival. There's revival. C, there's unparalleled missionary work during this period of time. Unparalleled missionary work. <clears throat> the sixth church period is one of brotherly love. It's where we get the word Philadelphia. There is no greater love than that one should lay down his life for others. We see this in 1 John 3, 16. And the Christians of this era did just that. An open door of evangelistic opportunity was set before them. And with Bible in hand, they walked through that door by the thousands. Say amen. This Philadelphian church age, it, 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 we, we find this was the day of the great revivals under John Wesley, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, Peter Cartwright, and many, many, many others. This was the day of the great missionary work of the Moravians, the Plymouth Brethren, the hundreds of men and women from Scotland and Wales who traveled to foreign lands with the gospel. Hudson Taylor, Adoniram Judson, William Carey, John Patton, and thousands of others of like precious faith won millions of souls on foreign shores. You might not know this, but great institutions such as Harvard, Yale, and Princeton were founded to educate men and women in the doctrines of the Christian faith. Can you imagine that? Some of the most liberal and godless institutions in America today were founded originally to teach men and women the doctrines of the Christian faith during this wonderful period of time. Orphanages like that of George Mueller in Bristol, England were established to train children for God. This church received no rebuke from the Lord. They loved the brethren recognized God as holy and true, took the key from papal hands and returned it to the true head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, and it kept his word. The church obeyed the scriptures and carried them to the whole earth. 
One has to read the accounts of the life and ministry of the missionaries of this era to even begin to grasp the wonders of God's working in a church that honored his word. The great awakenings in America during this time were duplicated around the globe and untold numbers were converted by the church of brotherly love. The great church of the open door corresponds to the age and the time that we see here, 1750 to about 1950. What a time. What a time of revival. What a time to preach the gospel. In other words, God said, I'm going to open a door. And no man can change. And by the way, if he makes it happen, nobody can stop it. Say, man, this is great. Unfortunately, it's not the final letter. The final letter is the letter to the Laodiceans. And it's not so good. If you will notice, if you will notice, I, I, I got to hurry, but there's three, different sets of, there's three different sets of judgments in the tribulation period. The sealed judgments, the trumpet judgments, the vile judgments, and all of them are three sets of seven. Before the seventh judgment of each one, before the seventh seal, before the seventh trumpet, before the seventh vial, God shows grace. And God gives a, if you want to use this term, a space of grace to allow them to repent. After using all of those judgments to try to get their attention to get them to repent, he gives them a space to repent. I kind of see the Philadelphian church age as that, that time. That space in the, in the age of the church where God says, listen, I know you've been foolish and I know you've been wicked and I, I know you've turned completely away from me and I know you came out, but, but you didn't come out far enough, but I'm going I'm to move one more time. I'm going to open doors of opportunity. I'm going to open places of ministry. And I'm going to move kind of like he did in the apostolic church. But that's not the final. The final is the Laodicean church. And here we find a church. Let, let me just give you what to write down and then I, and I'll read because I'm out of time. God completes his work in cycles of seven. The Laodicean letter is the last in a series of the letters to the churches and prophetically wraps up the age of church history. From chapters 4 through chapters 19, the church is nowhere viewed as being on earth. The church has been called up to be the Lord. But these are the characteristics of the apostate church. We move out of the missionary church period into the apostate church period. We find this characterized by being lukewarm, not hot, not cold. And we learned last lesson that this does not mean that they were saved but backslidden. It means that they were lost thinking they're saved. And he said, I would that you were hot. That means saved and on fire, knowing it. Or cold. Without question, you are lost and you know you're lost. Because you have a better chance of getting saved than being lost and thinking you're saved. I would you were one or the other, but you're lukewarm. A church as a whole a church as a whole, the, the church that this world sees, a church that this world is familiar with, is full of lost people who are religious but lost. And they're arrogant. B, they're arrogant. He says, we have much riches. We got this and we've got that. But God says, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. They're lukewarm, arrogant. You ought to put blind there too because they don't even see their condition. They're nauseating to God. He said, because of this, I'll spew thee out of my mouth. 
This is a church that makes God sick when he sees the condition. It is a church, the worst of all, that has Christ on the outside wanting in. There's churches all over America today that meet just like always. They meet just like regular clockwork. And God is nowhere to be found. Because they've learned the routine and they've learned the rituals. They know what to say and how to say it. They've learned what to sing and how to sing it. They learn how to print off lessons or materials. But they have no sense of the Holy Spirit of God. They have no sense of the power of God. There's no conviction. There's no conversion. Why? Because Jesus is on the outside. I stand at the door and knock. This is not in reference to the heart. This is in reference to the church. He's speaking to the church. I know we've used this application many times that he's standing there and he's knocking on your heart's door wanting it. No, this is the church. He says, I want back in my church. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and sup with him. Christ is on the outside. The last... The last church addressed is the one at Laodicea. And the name, the name Laodicea means the rights of the people. The rights of the people. And the definition says it all. In the church of the last days, the professing Christian has made God his servant. And has set his own self up and has heaped to himself teachers who exalt humanity. Think about that. That's how you can get these these birds you're seeing on TV who's telling you how to have your best life now. Telling you how you can have the best version of yourself. Let me tell you, the best version of yourself ain't good enough. This church is spiritually lukewarm, but it's abundantly wealthy, but it's morally impoverished. It is a church that campaigns for human rights, women's rights, minority rights, gay rights, and the right of the third world nations to self-determination, everything but the gospel. It's a church that will ordain women, homosexuals, and the openly unconverted. It's the same church that will remove the blood of Jesus from its Bibles, the masculinity of Christ from its hymnals, the doctrine of repentance from its pulpits, the standard of holy living and modest dress and pure speech from its memory. Don't preach on sin. Don't preach on holiness. Don't preach on righteousness. Just preach grace. Just preach love. I want, I want you to preach the, the God that we want him to be, not the God of the Bible. We want to create the, only, the God that we want him to be. Well, let me tell you something. You cannot create your own form. You cannot create your own righteousness. That's what the, that's what the Jewish people tried to do. And Paul says, I have, I, have, I have witness and I have knowledge that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. And because they don't know the real God, they go out to make their own. That's the church we're living in. And Paul warned us of this. Paul told Timothy, preach the word, son. Don't preach your opinion. Don't preach your theories. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. If every time you hear the sermon, you feel better about yourself, he's not doing his job. I'm never, I, I never feel good about myself when I'm being rebuked. How about y'all? 
When I'm being reproved, that don't make me feel too good. Now, I'm glad for encouraging sermons. I'm glad for times of refreshing and a time of encouragement. But I'm telling you what, if, if we're not leaving a little uncomfortable every now and then, I, 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 I'm not that holy, y'all. I need, I need God to get my attention. I need God to get in my face. I need the word of God to examine me like David said and said, search me, oh God, and know me. See if there be any wicked way in me. We need a church that's righteous and holy and a church that desires to be right. And if we have that, we're going to have to take a little skin in every now and then. Amen. Anyway, we're out of time. This church makes God sick. This church that heaps upon themselves teachers having itching ears. Say, what is itching ears? The only way I can describe it, if you're a communist and you don't own a puppy... Some of y'all didn't get that, but it's all right. Everybody should have a dog. I don't care. I'm not a cat person. But you should have a dog, a puppy. Yes, a cat have attitude. They do. They, they'll look at you funny. They'll let you pet them one day, and they won't even look at you the next. I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. Say Amen. I, I, I read this sign that says, if you think your wife loves you more than your puppy, put them both in the trunk for an hour, open the trunk, see who's happy to see you. <laughs> Somebody say amen right there. <laughs> but here's what itching ears is. How many of y'all know what I'm saying when I say a puppy? Come on, at least you know that, right? How many of y'all ever scratched a puppy on the, on the belly? How many of y'all know that puppy? Oh... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That puppy will let you know that's the spot. You know what he's saying? You know what Paul's telling Timothy? People are going to go places where people will tell them what they want to hear. Just tickle their ears. Just make me feel better about myself. Don't talk to me about my issues. Don't talk to me about my sin because I don't want to change none of that. I want to still live the way I want to live. Don't tell me how to live. Just tell me I'm okay. Ladies and gentlemen, God says that's the church that makes me sick. And that's the last one. What consolation can we take from this? Now, now how many of y'all know it don't take very far to see this kind of church today. Come on, everybody. Don't act shy now. Right? But guess what? It's the last one before Christ returns. And bad as this is, the Bible still says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to be with them in the clouds. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Say amen. Yeah. I know I'm way over time, but I'm feeling it. Amen. John 14, let not your heart be troubled. 
Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be. Say amen. amen. We're checking out. We're checking out. I know it looks bad. I know it's, I know it's the bad church age, and, it's a, the, and by the way, it's the age of the, the shut door. It's a shut door. We have, we have church leaders that are frustrated that grew up in the age of the open door, the Philadelphian church age, and they're trying to do what they did in the Philadelphian church age in the Laodicean age, and there's no open door anymore, and they wonder why it don't work. So does that mean we got to give up on revival and salvation? And I, No, no, no. Didn't you hear him say, I stand at the door and if any man, let me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me help you with that. If any church that's in the Laodicean age will open the door and let me in, I will, oh, are y'all with me? In other words, you can be a Philadelphian church in a Laodicean age. Say amen. Stand up, people, stand up. Now all God's people say it. I don't know why y'all in a hurry. You basically get wet. But we got to be in a hurry. Now, how many of y'all got kids in here? You got kids. Raise your hand. You got kids. Raise your hand. All right, we got to come up with a story. 